Hi, and welcome to Process, a podcast where we have honest conversations about what it takes to manage the ups and downs of the creative journey. I'm Marcela Chamorro, your host. On this episode, I'm speaking with Ryan Alice, a person who's doing all kinds of things around the world of entrepreneurship and community. First off, Ryan co-founded Eye Contact in 2003, a company he ran until it sold in 2012 for almost $170 million. Since then, he attended Harvard MBA, which he's in his second year of now. And he's also chairman of the startup Connect.com and chairman of the Hive Global Leaders Program. On top of all of that, he's a member of the United Nations Foundation Global Entrepreneurs Council. Talk about getting a lot done. In this episode, I'm excited to talk to Ryan about how he prioritizes what he works on and how he manages the ups and downs of each project. Most of all, Ryan will be sharing how he learned to beat the anxiety and worry that debilitated him for years. Let's get to it. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on Process. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for being on Process. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your entrepreneurial path for those who are not familiar with your work, all of your work. It's a lot. Tell us a little bit about what you do now and kind of what brought you here. Thanks, Marcella. I'm an entrepreneur from San Francisco, and I have been an entrepreneur since 1995 when I was 11 years old, and I started helping senior citizens with their computers and helping them get on the internet in America Online for $5 an hour. And I would ride my bike to their houses, and they would pay me the 5 or $10 for helping them out. And that turned into a web design business when I was 14. And then when I was 18, I started a company called iContact. And iContact did very well. We grew to 300 employees. So you can imagine being the CEO of a 300-employee company with $50 million in annual sales at the age of 25. It was, it was quite a big responsibility. But we did very well at iContact. We, we sold email marketing software for small uh, businesses and nonprofits. And then um, when I was 27 in the year 2012, we sold the company to a public company for $170 million. And so that was a, a big win. And you know, certainly you can imagine feeling very excited, very elated uh, to have that type of outcome for a company that you put 10 years into. So that was um, you know, my, my entrepreneurial path up until 2012. And then in the last three years, I've moved to California, to San Francisco, to Silicon Valley. And I started two companies, different type of companies that are both helping build community in the world. Connect you know, at connect.com is a company that is building software to help communities come together and help people know what's going on in their community. And Hive is a global community of leaders working on creating a better world. And we've created the Hive Global Leaders Program um, at hive.org over the last year. So now I'm a, not only building two companies in San Francisco, but I'm also a second year MBA student at Harvard in Boston. Yeah, I was going to end. I think that you're also involved with the UN. No big deal, right? <laughs> no big deal. Yes, I've been part of the uh, United Nations Foundation Global Entrepreneur Council. It's interesting. I have a few friends that have attended Hive, so I, and I know events for my time with TEDx Manawa and stuff like that. I know that events take a lot of time to put together, especially high-quality ones. And I am a Connect user, so I know from experience that it, 
it must take a ton of time and, and a huge team to continue building and growing that business. How do you manage time between all of your projects and now school? It's a good question. I think that um, what I realized is I could be the chairman of two companies at once, and we hired really great CEOs to run Hive and Connect. And being in the chairman role, what that means is my responsibility is to help the company out with whatever it needs and ensure that it's that's funded and ensure that the board has board meetings and ensure that we're, we have the right person in place to lead the organization. So being in the co-founder and chairman role, I find, gives me some time to work on multiple projects at once. And that was really essential for me to be able to come back and be a student here uh, in Boston the next nine months. So I find that I do work quite long hours, but I, I love it. And I really enjoy the work that I do. It's very creative. And so I feel like I don't work at all. Even though I might be working 12 hours a day, I feel like I never work because uh, it's just like playing for me. It's just like playing a video game, having having an impact, making a difference, building something new, putting on events for global leaders, or building a mobile app that 4 million people use. Like it's a, it's a really fun, very fulfilling type of work. So I feel like it's no work at all. Is that because... The people that you work with, I mean, you, you sound like you put a lot of emphasis on community. Is that something that you build as well within your company so it, it's fun to collaborate or is it more something else that makes it fun for you to work on these companies? I think it's both. I think ultimately the people you get to work with create your experience. And so you want to be around really positive, happy hardworking, capable, smart people. At the same time, the work that you ultimately do uh, also determines the quality of your experience. And for me, I'm a, I'm a really creative, right-brained type of person. And so the work I like to do in building mobile apps is actually like drawing on, on Post-its, drawing on flashcards, different designs for what the mobile app is going to look like and how it's going to function and how users will interact with the user experience, with the user interface. And with respect to Hive, what I really love to do with the Hive Global Leaders Program is reach out to people and get them to come, basically. And then during the event, um, actually be on stage and do some of the public speaking and facilitating and, and coaching of other leaders. And so I I'm a very social person and I'm a very creative person. And whereas if you were to put me in front of like an Excel spreadsheet, I would do okay. Or if you would put me in charge of like managing the operational execution or logistics, I would do okay, but it wouldn't necessarily be the thing that brings me alive. So do you get to do a lot of that creative work um, in terms of like wireframing a mobile app or, or a new screen for Connect while you're chairman and in Boston? Or is that, do you now have to focus on other activities? And Because I know that for a lot of entrepreneurs, as a company grows or as a project grows, sometimes you get to do less of that thing that you enjoyed so much in the beginning. Is that something that you experience as well? It is something I experienced when I was at Eye Contact. When I was in the CEO role, I had you know, seven senior executives that were twice my age. And I had a private equity firm that invested $40 million in us and I was 26. And so I, I really did not have as much time to be creative and, and draw in user interface designs for the product. What I find at, I, at Connect though, is that because we have a very capable CEO, because we have a very capable team, and a very good chief product officer gives me the freedom to go forth and help out however I'm best able. And what I find as an entrepreneur is it's good to develop that CEO skill set where you're dealing with 
many different departments, you're dealing with the whole company. At some point in your career, though, you'll, you'll figure out that what I really love to do is X or what I really love to do is Y. And if there's a way that you can work on that at least half of your time, that's really great. For me, I'm a people person and I'm a creativity person. And so if I can work with people and pixels half of my time, then, then I'm just a happy person. And I, I was going to ask you this question about how the experience has been different this time around uh, with Connect and Hive versus starting out with eye contact. And I noticed even when we were um, scheduling this call that you have kind of like very important email strategies in place. Can you tell us a little bit about how that helps you? I mean, this is not a criticism. I was like, wow, must learn from Ryan Alice. This is great. Yeah, e- e- email is the biggest tyranny uh, in the history of humanity. If there were a, a a new revolutionary war where we could, um, you know, take on a new enemy, it would it wouldn't be the British. It would be the email account creators. And I get three hundred to four hundred emails a day, mo- mostly from real people, and I just can't possibly uh, see them all, let alone respond to them all. And so I've introduced a new technique called the permanent away message, and it's really beautiful. And basically all it says is, you know, thanks so much for your email. I'm unable to uh, respond to most emails. However, if your email requires a response, please text me. Here's my phone number. And you might think that being, you know, listing your, your mobile phone number in your email would cause all kinds of problems and all kinds of people calling you and all kinds of text messages, but it actually doesn't. So few people actually need an urgent response. So few people will actually go to the lengths of texting you. Maybe I'll get four or five texts a day. No problem. I can handle that. And then I, in addition to listing my phone number where I ask people to text me if they need a response, I essentially uh, list the names of our deputies, the people in charge of my, my two companies, Hive and Connect. And so by listing the CEO and the, the um, executive assistant or office manager at each of the companies, it enables me to direct most of the inquiries toward the people who are focused full-time on those companies and the ones that are very important that need urgent replies, they always text me. So what that means is I still check my email once or twice a day, but often I'll miss half of the messages and that's okay because if they're really important, someone will text me. So I I find that that's a pretty good strategy. And then lastly, in terms of booking, and you experienced this, Marcella, yourself when you booked, is I use a service called youcanbook.me. And youcanbook.me is great because you don't have to go back and forth. It just automatically syncs with your Google Calendar and then allows the other person to select a time to work for them. And so you don't have to do any administrative hassle of figuring out times that work for you and the other person. So just a nerdy note, because I'm really into this tech stuff. It actually didn't sync with my Google Calendar. So there's this great tool called Calendly. Calendly, okay. I'll send you, I'll post a link and I'm a big fan of it because when I, the first few people who are on my podcast and when they accepted, I said, listen, instead of going back and forth, you might want to check out this link. And sometimes I'm a little afraid of using the link because I don't want people to think like, oh, I'm so important that I can't email you. I'm just like, this might help you choose a time that works for you on Calendly and it syncs with mine and it syncs with theirs. So you might want to check it out. It's, it's also free and it's beautiful. So beautiful. <laughs> but but anyways, yeah. And so how much less time do you think you're spending on email in general ever since you started this permanent away message kind of strategy? Yeah, I went from about five hours a day down to one hour a day. Um, wow, so it's taking me about 80% of the time. Yeah, I would literally spend five to six hours a day on email. It was, it was terrible. 
Yeah, and um, I read a recent blog post of yours where you tell like the tale about transitioning from a hard-nosed workaholic, those are your words, not mine, <laughs> to someone who's kind of calmed his racing mind and, and deepened your relationships again. Can you tell us a little bit about what specific events led to that and how you're keeping up with that in your day-to-day life? Because I know that in the blog post, which I'll link to, you talk about specific events and retreats that you went on. And in my experience, because I love going to conferences and events, there's kind of a downer after you leave where you're like so inspired and then you go home and you're like, mark, mark, mark. How do you keep that up in your day-to-day life after all of these life-changing events? Yeah. You know, I, I think the number one practice I've added the last couple of years has been meditation. And I started two years ago doing the Art of Living uh, meditation program, which is at artofliving.org. And just because of that daily morning 20 minutes, I'm much clearer and much happier and much less anxious than ever before. I used to think meditation was bullshit. I, I basically sat there and nothing but thoughts would come to my head. I didn't know how to do it. But the Art of Living three-day happiness program really taught me how to breathe well. And they teach you something called the Kriya. And so I've done the Art of Living. I've done Landmark Forum. I've done Tony Robbins' Unleash the Power Within. I've done a program in India called the Isha Foundation Inner Engineering. I've done Camp Grounded. I've done a lot of these programs, as you mentioned. And I find that by combining... Uh, eating well in between these types of programs and combining that with 30 minutes of daily uh, yoga and meditation, 10 minutes of yoga, 20 minutes of meditation, I am the happiest, healthiest, and most energized I've ever been. So you found your formula. Do you get to practice that like on a daily basis or is that something where, you know, you do a lot every day? Are there days where you slip and you feel the change or you do not permit Yeah. No, I've had about 95% uh, success in the last year and a half doing them every morning. You know, it's funny because the last four or five days I've moved from San Francisco to Boston for the second year of HBS for business school. And I haven't done it one or two of these days because I haven't gotten into a routine yet. And I find that it's really easy to do it when you do it at the same time every day. So I find that I used to do it every day at 8.30 and then get to work by 10. Um, my, my first class starts at 8.30 now, so I'm going to have to do them at 7 a.m., which is fine. But getting into that daily routine is critical. And I find on days, on the rare day that I don't do the yoga, my neck really hurts. I sort of have neck pain from a car crash in the past. And then on days that I don't do the meditation, my thoughts are really jumbled and out of order. And I get really anxious about really small things. And I get a little bit angry about little really small things that shouldn't normally bother me. And I'm not as thoughtful in the way that I interact with others, and certainly not as calm and peaceful and happy. And so if you're trying to be happy, and I think we all are trying to be happy in life, taking that 20 minutes a morning to meditate and reflect back on your prior day and reflect ahead toward your current day and clear your mind uh, is just the most important 20 minutes of your day. And it's really interesting that you say that because I went through a very uh, jarring change in routine a a little bit over a year ago when my child was born. And now I have to like fight and claw for the time that I want to dedicate to something that will help me. So I'm like, all right, 7 to 7.30, JJ's with the baby, I'm going to work out. Then he goes to sleep at 9.30 and I have 20 minutes to write an article or whatever it is. And sometimes like meditation is the next frontier for me where I'm like, 
I need to find at least 10 minutes. You know, I need to find that little space or give up sleep for it, which is really sad for me. <laughs> for me, sleep is the ultimate. So, and, and just to give everybody some background, you and I met, what, what year was that? You were still with Eye Contact or you were between, yeah, was, you were about to, I think? I think it was so. 2010, 2011. Yeah, uh, and we, we hung out with a few friends in, in Las Isletas. So I'll, I'll actually, I, mean, I think I have a picture of this. I'm going to try and see if I can include it in the show notes. It's been too long. But yeah, and, and since then, I think that our lives are going to continue to change. So like imagine when you graduate uh, at the end of, you know, in May or June, whenever it is that HBS gets out. And then are you going to move back to San Fran or is that something that is still up in the air? Yeah, I, I will be going back. And then a new routine and a whole new, or maybe the, the old routine in place again, but definitely with always new changes. I think it, that's one of the challenges that we face, no? So I'm curious about what you would call your biggest struggle ever since. I mean, I was going to say ever since you went out on your own as an entrepreneur, but it sounds like you've always been one. So what has been the biggest struggle that you faced and how have you dealt with it? whether past or current. Yeah, I think, Marcella, there's the outer struggle and then there's the inner struggle. And I think no matter what's going on outside, no matter how apparently successful you are or you aren't, the inner struggle is always the hardest one. And that's the voice in your own head and learning not to listen to it too much. Um, the voice that's in your head that causes self-doubt and anxiety and lack of confidence and worry all the time. And for me, I've had a couple experiences that have been very challenging. Um, I lost my mother when she was 60 in 2012 to a brain tumor that took her life within a few months. And my father passed away last year when he was 76 from a leukemia that he didn't even know he had. And so, you know, th those challenges were very real. And from a professional standpoint, I've had to, at one point we had to lay off 65 people in a day at eye contact, about a third of the staff. And having to deal with layoffs, having to deal with, we had a, a employee suicide, we had um, another employee lost his sister. You know, we, we had very challenging experiences personally and professionally over the years. And that's just part of the territory. But the hardest battle of all is the one inside your own mind. And as an entrepreneur, as one of these crazy people that are these round pegs in a square hole, you sometimes can feel a little alone. And so that's why having friends and mentors that understand you is so important to invest in. And even if you're succeeding, the problem with success is that when you start succeeding, then people expect more success. And so if you start, you know, if you grow your sales 100% one year, then they suddenly expect you to do it again the next year and again the next year and again the next year. And you end up on this treadmill that eventually you're not going to be able to sustain the same performance, just law of large numbers. You can't grow at 100% a year forever. And then you start growing at 50% and 25% and you're still doing very well, but suddenly you're starting to self-criticize. And I find that self-criticism and worry over things that haven't even happened yet, a needless worry about things that are not controllable, that have not occurred, is the most damaging mental loop that an entrepreneur can get into. And what I find is that there's a simple solution to all of this, and I didn't realize it. 
I was 27 and I was 212 pounds and I was a stressed out East Coast CEO. And then I moved to California, lost 60 pounds just through healthy eating, not even a lot of exercise and added the daily yoga and meditation. And as I was sharing before, just by breathing and being calm and reducing the amount of cortisol in my mind and reducing the amount of adrenaline in my system, and actually by getting off of caffeine, which was a huge win that I did this summer, I've been able to greatly reduce anxiety. And most entrepreneurs are completely addicted to coffee and caffeine. I, I know that that is true. I was addicted to it for six years. But what happens with caffeine is it dehydrates you, number one, and number two, it releases cortisol, which is sort of the aggression hormone into your brain and makes you anxious about things that you don't need to be anxious about. And in fact, sometimes in entrepreneurship, calmness and pa slight patience, just like take the action to make something happen and then wait like a few hours. <laughs> a little bit of patience is so important in not blowing up and allowing yourself to get through the day calmly. So Get off caffeine. It takes like a week to get off it. They're terrible headaches, but get off caffeine. You don't need it. It kills you. It's making you anxious and dehydrated. Replace the caffeine with, with lots of water and um, start eating lots of vegetables and do, do daily yoga and meditation and your life is going to be transformed in terms of what you can achieve. I definitely share that with you. When I, I dropped caffeine in a day when I was pregnant and it's it, when I started drinking a li like one cup a day after, well, I mean, it was a year and a half after all, I had dropped it, I felt a difference in how I was sleeping. And I'm like, damn it. Like I told you, sleep to me is the most important thing. And I've had to like experiment with how much I can drink where I'm like, oh, I like the taste. And I'm just going to have like half a cup just for fun, just for funs, but not. But yes, yeah, so I feel you. I definitely have felt a physical difference in myself with or without the caffeine. So one last question for you, Ryan. Uh, what do you wish that you would have known when you started out? And I know that we've talked about a lot of this stuff that you might want to have known before you started out, but what is the one main thing that you could identify and say, you know, if I just knew that, life would have been a little bit more peaceful? Yeah, two things actually. Number one is only build a business if you're deeply passionate about the problem that you're solving. I know that sounds sort of obvious, but what I see the majority of entrepreneurs doing, especially in Silicon Valley, is that their motivation behind building the company is more driven by ego and a desire for press attention and the desire to be admired by their peers and friends and the desire to get that TechCrunch headline than it is to actually solve the problem and contribute to society. And the great irony about that is, is that if you're passionate about solving the problem and really want to help other people and really want to contribute to helping society, then you end up having the commitment to the problem to do the deep user empathy, the deep user research necessary to actually solve the problem well. And then once you've had product market fit, build a team and build a business and build a system of systems around that problem solution fit to actually build a successful company, which then, of course, results in a bunch of headlines and other things that will boost up your ego. However, if you're just in it for the press, I mean, anyone can incorporate a company and, you know, create a prototype and send out a, something to the, to the press and raise $100,000 of angel capital and get an article in TechCrunch and you feel great about it for like a day. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, okay, I still don't have a successful business. What do I do? 
And so people that are getting into business because of the dopamine and oxytocin that comes from the press and the ego trips um, don't often succeed. And so it, it, because it takes 10 years to build a successful business, and that's what people don't realize. People think it's like, oh, I'll just do this for two years and then try something else. If you're just in it for two years, you're going to quit right when the going gets tough and you're not going to have the deep desire. So only do things you have a deep desire to do that solve problems that really matter in the world would be my first piece of advice. And the second, I've already said it twice on this call, is uh, take the Art of Living Happiness Program and learn to meditate and do daily breathing and get off caffeine. And your mind is going to feel like you're a superhero. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for sharing all this with us. I'm very glad to be here. You heard it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ryan Alice of Connect and Hive. I love how Ryan has clearly studied the science behind meditation and the food he eats and how it affects his mood, his happiness, and his ability to create. Thanks, Ryan, for sharing all of that with us. It was wonderful reconnecting. I'll be posting more on where you can find Ryan online in the show notes. So visit marcelachamorro.com slash process for more information. And to you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to Process. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed on iTunes, left a little review, a little rating, five stars, you know the drill. Tune in to our next episode of Process next week for more on managing the ups and downs of creating and making. I'm Marcela, your host, and this was Process.